We have seen that it was during the reign of King David that Israel entered into her golden age. Now, it's been said of the history of Israel that under David, the zenith of the golden age took place, and under his son Solomon, that gold began to tarnish just a little bit, and then after the death of Solomon, the kingdom turned to rust. But let's spend some time today looking at the link between David and the sons of Solomon, whereupon the kingdom of the Jews was rent in two, and the United Kingdom disintegrated into what was called the Divided Kingdom. At the end of David's life, when he was very ill, presumably his oldest surviving son, whose name was Adonijah, assumed that he would receive the throne, that he would succeed his father in dynastic succession. And so he had himself declared king while David was still alive. And the account of that is found in the first chapter of the book of Kings, of First Kings. Let me read a brief passage about this. Verse 1 of chapter 1, Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. And then we hear the story of Abishag's coming in to warm him. And then in verse 5 we read, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? And he was also very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. And then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest. And they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok, the priest, Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, Nathan, the prophet, Shimei, Rai, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. Now, do you see what's going on here? That the, presumably, as I say, the eldest surviving son of David, the younger brother of Absalom, and Absalom had formerly raised up in rebellion against his father and tried to wrest the crown from him. And after he died, now his brother seems to be following in his footsteps. And what Adonijah does is claims the kingdom for himself and gets certain people to be his allies, among them Joab, who is David's most trusted general. And he pulls some other people into this conspiracy, but those who are notably eliminated or omitted from this coup include such people as Abiathar the priest and Nathan the prophet, and many others who had been fiercely loyal to David. I mean, this is a tragic thing, but it's the kind of thing that you see in coups all through history, where there are attempts to wrest the power for one's self. And so we have a power struggle of the highest magnitude here confronting David in the last days of his life. But he had already sworn an oath to his wife Bathsheba that her son Solomon 
would receive the throne. And so David finds out about this conspiracy of Adonijah. And in the latter part of chapter 1 of 1 Kings, verse 32, we read these words. And King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada. And so they came before the king. And the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and take him down to Gihon. And there let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel, and blow the horn, and say, Long live King Solomon. So at the end of his life, David takes these steps to ensure the dynastic succession of his throne that is according to his wishes. And so then after Solomon is announced to be David's successor, David calls Solomon into his presence in chapter 2, verse 1, and we read this. Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill His word which He spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, He said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And this is just about the last thing that David did before he died. I once watched a talk show on television where the person that was being interviewed was Burt Reynolds. And the host of the show was discussing the question of transitions of passages from youth to adulthood. And he said to Burt Reynolds, how do you know when you have become a man? And Burt Reynolds answered that question on national television by saying, you know that you are a man when your daddy says that you are a man. And I've never forgotten that because that revealed an unspoken assumption that is deeply rooted within men. And what is happening here at the very end of David's life? He says to his son Solomon, be a man. And in the charge to Solomon, when he gives him the throne, he focuses attention on the solemn responsibility that goes with the kingship, that he is to be obedient to the king's law, that he is to follow after all of the commandments of God, all of the statutes of Moses, and so on. So this is how the kingdom changes from David into the hands of Solomon. The rebellion is crushed. The enemies of Solomon are eliminated. And Solomon now has a clear path to be the undisputed king over the nation. Now, to get an insight into Solomon, we need to turn to the third chapter of 1 Kings, where we read this in verse 1. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter, 
And then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at high places. Now, what we have in this introductory statement of chapter 3 is a kind of ominous foreboding of what the future has in store for Solomon. Now, it's axiomatic in our culture to understand that the name of Solomon is linked proverbially with wisdom. If we see somebody today who's particularly sagacious, we may say about that person, that person has the wisdom of Solomon. No one in all of sacred scripture is highlighted with possessing such a gift of wisdom as is this character, Solomon. His name is intimately associated with a large section of the Old Testament called the wisdom literature. Traditionally, Solomon was considered to be the author of the Song of Solomon, the author of many, if not most, of the Proverbs contained in that book, and also the author of a portion of the Psalms that survive to this day. And so he was famous for his extraordinary manifestation of wisdom, which we'll look at a little bit more deeply in a couple of moments. But it was Aristotle who said that in the brain of the wisest of men always resides the corner of the fool. And it's something that when we read about these Old Testament heroes and heroines, that the Bible's not afraid to paint the portrait of their heroes and heroines, warts and all. And so often, these people who emerge as giants of leadership and of faith have the character that reminds us of a Shakespearean tragedy, where there's some kind of fatal flaw or fatal blemish that brings them to ruin sooner or later. And such is the case in the person of Solomon. At the beginning of his reign, he manifests an extraordinary wisdom and a deep devotion to the things of God. And as I said, David had brought in the golden age of Israel. It extended her borders from Dan to Beersheba. And really, what David did administratively was exceeded by Solomon that Solomon actually strengthened the treasuries, embarked on ambitious building programs and public works projects, and even strengthened the military power of the kingdom he inherited from his father for a season. But what began in a spirit of humble dependence upon God began to unravel and come apart as the years passed by. But again, let's look for a moment at this extraordinary dimension of Solomon's wisdom. We read in chapter 3, verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. 
And God said, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you've shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. And you have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? This passage reeks of a spirit of humility, of a young man who now receives this burdensome responsibility of ruling over a nation that had been organized in greatness by his own father. To fill the shoes of David was an unenviable task, to say the least. He's a young man, presumably already married, and his marriage was a marriage of international diplomacy. He married the daughter of Pharaoh, thereby cementing political relationships between the great empire of Egypt and the nation of Israel. But you remember, we saw that ominous hint earlier on in the chapter. Let's go back to it, where it says that Solomon brought her, that is Pharaoh's daughter, to the city of David until he finished building his own house, the house of the Lord, and the wall around Jerusalem. In the meantime, that is, until the temple is built, there is no central sanctuary for the people to worship. And so they become involved in creating their own sacred sites on the high places. And we hear a lot in the Old Testament about the high places because the high places became synonymous with pagan shrines and pagan altars. And the people of Israel already are running around making sacrifices in these high places, and Solomon is involved in this as well. And we read at the end of that section that Solomon loved the Lord, he walked in the statutes of David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. This will be his undoing. And there's something else hinted at here that will be his undoing, that his first marriage is to a pagan woman from a pagan culture, which at this juncture is already an act of disobedience that had been given to the Jews not to intermarry with the pagans around them. But Solomon does that. But he's still youthful, he's idealistic, he's overwhelmed by the awesome responsibility that's placed before him, and God says, ask of me and I'll give you whatever you ask. And he doesn't ask for money. He doesn't ask for fame. He doesn't ask for power. He doesn't seek from God those gifts or blessings that are so often the consuming passion of other young men who seek fame and fortune. 
But the thing that he most wants is an understanding heart. He wants wisdom so that he can be a good king. He wants wisdom so that he can settle the disputes and the differences that arise within the nation, that he might be a judge like Samuel, that he may be godly like his father. And this is what he requests from God. Now listen to God's response to this. In verse 10 of chapter 3, we read, The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, have not asked riches for yourself, have not asked the life of your enemies, but asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall anyone like you arise after you. And I have given you what you have not asked, both riches and honors, so that there will not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. And so if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And then Solomon awoke. This is extraordinary. His request was humble. And God said, because your request was so humble, I am pleased that I'm going to grant that request. But not only am I going to give you that, but I'm going to give you all the things you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you power and fame and glory and riches. Do you remember the story, King Solomon's Mines, that talked about the fabulous wealth that was amassed during the reign of this king? His kingdom became so opulent that the Queen of Sheba came from afar to gaze upon the glory of the kingdom that belonged to Solomon. And Jesus even makes reference to that episode in the New Testament. Well, the first great task of Solomon was to fulfill his father's dream and the will of the Lord in the construction of the house that would be the house of God. It's under the reign of Solomon that the Old Testament temple is constructed. And it is constructed by virtue of a treaty agreement that is made with the king of Tyre, whose name is Hiram, who provides all of the necessary building materials. And this massive program is completed. And at the time of the completion of the temple, again, we still see Solomon in his rigorous devotion to the things of God. When he dedicates the temple, the temple that his father wanted to build, but God said, no, this will be left to the next generation. And in the dedication of the temple, Solomon is still manifesting a life of devotion and obedience. But then in chapter 11 of 1 Kings, we begin to see the sad decline of the man's integrity. Chapter 11 begins with these words, But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you, for surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. But Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other guards. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God.
as was the heart of his father David. And we really see the depravity to which he sunk in verse 5. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father. Then he built a high place. He built an altar to a pagan god. And he did this to please his foreign wives. And so we read in verse 9, So the Lord became angry against Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God. And therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Lord Acton said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's not exactly true because only God has absolute power and there's no corruption with Him. But at a human level, it seems to be all too often true. Inserted in this is an incident I haven't mentioned. The Bible puts great focus on the sin of Solomon in acceding to the requests of his foreign wives to construct altars and sanctuaries to pagan deities. And this was his undoing but also in his zeal to make the kingdom great, to embark upon a massive building project, Solomon instituted the corvée, which was a term used to refer to slave labor. And what was so wicked about this was that Solomon enslaved a portion of his own people as a slave labor corps to complete the construction of his public work projects. And that, even more than the religious apostasy, provoked the rending of the kingdom, as we will see in our next segment.